You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Hartigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton, and I am in England reunited. Yes, that's why I can see you. Yes. That's why you're sitting across from me. You're in England. The hologram technology is not that good yet. <laughs> Plus, you can smell me and feel me. I'm, no, I can't reach you from this distance. That is my work wife, James Hardigan. James is back from vacation, so he is in England, too. Yes. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, it is our... Halloween special. This is the most tenuous branding and genrefication of an episode of this podcast ever. And I really meant to have a, like a wolf sound effect right there, but well, maybe it'll get added in post. Maybe it won't. It'll be a surprise to me and to you. And who better for this tenuous Halloween branded connection? By the way, producer John gave me such a weird look. Halloween's becoming a thing here, John. It's becoming a thing. Who better to bridge the gap between poker and hearth? And our guest today, Jennifer Tilly. Yes. She is here to talk poker, the new Chucky movie. And she's going to play a special horror-themed edition of Race Situations, Wolf Noise Again. If not, we can just leave in me saying Wolf Noise. In social media, we've got uh, your reactions to last week's movie episode, where we... We're forced to watch Lucky You and Deal again. And they were almost horror movies. Did you see, by the way, that coincidentally, Matt Savage tweeted a yes. picture of the royalty check that he gets regularly from Warner Brothers. Things like 160 bucks. And he for got. him to get that amount of money this late in the game means he must have been getting a really decent amount at some point because those checks go down significantly. I think the last royalty check I got for the one line I had in one show was two dollars two dollars and eighty cents so uh he must have made some decent money back in the day for that and most importantly we are back on tv and i wrote woo here which is different from the wolf noise so i'm just gonna go woo which is different from ow, ow, ow. we're back on tv thank god what else we got i dropped all my notes oh we got a super fan obviously kate bell She's our super fan, challenging me to trivia based on the movie So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah, remember the rules for Superfan versus Stapes. We have to get the specialist subjects approved now by Joe. If they're not poker related, if they're about a movie, a TV show, or something else in popular culture, we have to check that Joe has a reasonable recollection of it in order to make the quiz work. Right, because we we're about to get to a point where people are like, um, like I know just as much about fishing for example as i do about your uncle larry like you can't pick my uncle larry as a uh well your uncle it's getting confusing anyway do you have an uncle larry just so i'm just trying to no. throw it out there if there is a super fan who knows anything about stapes uncle larry that would be an even playing field i don't have an uncle larry somehow i need to get an uncle larry anyway uh so i married an expert james this is one of those movies that uh this happened a bunch of times in like my childhood and adolescence where I went to see a movie with my dad, a really funny movie that later in life I ended up really enjoying. But my dad doesn't really laugh right. at movies. And so I saw several movies with him that we I did not laugh during. He didn't laugh and therefore I didn't like it very much. And then later I was like, no, that's a really fucking funny movie. So I married an axe murderer, Austin Powers, yeah. uh, two Mike Myers movies, oddly. 
Uh, and uh, Superbad was one, which I I never mm, ended up liking that much, no. but still. And Zoolander, um, what I saw with my dad, and I was like, what a piece of crap. And then I saw it later, and I was like, this is fucking hilarious. But this is weird, because this is literally two opposite ends of the spectrum. You say your dad doesn't laugh during movies. Having sat in a cinema with you, when you laugh during a movie, <laughs> the entire theatre can hear this <laughs> roar. I've definitely embarrassed you. I embarrassed Matt once before. I'm not doing it on purpose. I did also embarrass my best friend when we went to see Suicide Squad because it was so bad and I was laughing. He was like, hey man, you think you can keep it down because some people might be trying to enjoy this. During a comedy, it makes sense Look, that I laugh loud. But... Everyone was trying to enjoy it. They couldn't. I think you tried to make the best of a bad situation Absolutely. in Suicide Squad. I was Squad. trying to give them the one opening they had to enjoy the movie. James, you are back from vacation. Where yeah. the fuck did you even go? Finland. Finland. Just for a week, family, friends. Do you, do you count visiting family as vacation? Well, it's not my family, so yes. Okay, fine. You actually <laughs> enjoy your wife's family. Yes. Okay, got it. More because, than I enjoy my own. Because I will often be like, you know, I haven't had a real vacation in like seven years, and I do get time off, but I end up going to visit my parents, and I just don't consider that a vacation. Yeah, so it was mainly kind of family activity, so I didn't get a chance to see very much. I have been watching a couple of American football documentaries. So, okay. You look so, utterly befuddled at this be concept. Because <laughs> I find sports to be boring, and I find documentaries to be boring. So the combination of the two is just well, you're a total snooze. Okay, bad sports can be boring. Bad documentaries can be boring. Yeah. But when you combine both those genres at the top of their game, NFL films... Is probably they one do, of the most they, they talented really production job. companies. Yeah, they're fucking great. So there's a series on Amazon called All or Nothing. And in the 2015 season, they basically were embedded with the Arizona Cardinals. Last year, they were embedded with the LA Rams. It's a fascinating kind of behind-the-scenes look at a franchise. How much stuff do they actually let out? Like, All everything? Everything. Literally everything. Why do teams sign on for that? I guess it's part of the deal. I mean, this is the thing. All the, all the players, all the coaches, they have to do media they have to allow uh, reporters into yeah. the locker room it's very different to other sports it's a sport that is completely in the public domain and i guess if the team signs up for it and the coaches and the playing players agree to it then everything's out there that's so wild i would imagine there must be some stuff they try to have killed but they don't well obviously half the, <clears throat> there's no spoiler here because this is documenting what happened last year sure towards the end of the ram season head coach jeff fisher got fired because they were something like four and nine and they had cameras in that morning meeting when he comes in talks to the players and says this is my last meeting as head coach and the reactions Fuck. some of which were very emotional from the other coaching staff and the players and the footage they film okay, of the that's games, pretty compelling. All right. some of the shots they get during the games are amazing. But I would say even better than that is a series on Netflix, which I would recommend to anyone, regardless of whether you have an interest in American football or not, which is Last Chance You, which some people call the real-life Friday Night Lights, which is about this junior college in Mississippi where loads of kind of Division One school dropouts end up or kids who've got personal problems or tuition problems. Yeah. And the idea is that this school is trying to fix those problems before they can then try and get back into Division 1. So and some of them do go on to have careers then? Yes, some of them end up playing in the NFL, but the coaching staff, their techniques, I would argue, are questionable. Bear in mind how many four episodes It's like in. boot camp kind of thing? Jesus Christ. I mean, the head coach, you'd think he was dealing 
with the Super Bowl. It's like the longest yard, like just prison type stuff happening. I mean, the, having seen professional coaches talk to professional players in this Amazon series, yeah. and then seeing junior college coaches talk, to, <laughs> talk yeah. to school kids effectively, and it's like, really? Is it really that serious? Do you really need That's to be part that? Of what's the turnoff to sports to me is how seriously people take it. Um, it's just, I'm like, God, this is so ultimately unimportant but it's so <laughs> difficult because the queue of stuff to watch now is just so long and i've had this on my list on netflix for over a year now i'm finally getting around to watch it but of course as soon as you start watching one thing something else pops up and then you get guilt like oh no everyone's talking about mindhunter and I i'm watching this and i really should be watching that so yeah so i started watching mindhunters because i pr i prefer my documentaries to be fake <laughs> and scripted because that makes them guaranteed to be interesting or, you know, in a perfect world, guaranteed to be interesting. I'm enjoying Mindhunter. Uh, it is... The, char the the actors are a little stiff, but I like it. I don't know. It's really cool. I just like period stuff. I don't know what's wrong with me, but it takes... Basically, it's almost like a prequel to Zodiac. Right. Zo Zodiac is a masterpiece. I think Zodiac's like a is like a fucking classic. Like it a is ten one of the most underrated films of the last ten years. Yeah, it's like a ten out of ten. And so this, uh, the subject matter, I find to be a little anticlimactic because like it is a, like I ca I call it a prequel, even though it's not really because they're developing the techniques for catching serial killers that we know and we know very well it's now. It's the foundation of behavioral science, I believe. Right, and so. You know, the things that they're quote unquote discovering are things that we've heard about in movies and TV shows for like so long now. Yeah. Um, so, but what I like about it is I find the characters to be pretty interesting and compelling and it's still kind of cool to, to see a procedural regardless, but it's decent. I don't love it. I also, uh, I've been watching The Good Place and Master of None and I've been put, these two shows have been like really highly recommended to me, uh, Master of None season two, I should say. And I'd been avoiding it because back in the day, I had this roommate named Cord, Cord Jefferson, who, uh, when we lived together, I desperately wanted to be a writer, a sitcom writer. He desperately wanted to be a journalist. Cord went on to be a journalist and then was so successful at journalism that they started asking him to be a sitcom writer. So Cord went from writing uh, pieces for The Atlantic and stuff that I saw, like Vanessa Selps retweet, like he was like a pretty successful journalist, then got asked to write for something on Comedy Central, then got asked to write for season two of Master of None, then got asked to write for The Good Place. So out of jealousy, you couldn't bring yourself to watch these shows? Absolutely correct. I admire your honesty. <clears throat> and Cord came to my birthday party uh, last month or a couple of weeks ago and I caught up with him and I, I was reminded how much I genuinely like this guy and how I was not going to be jealous. And so I started watching these shows and they're fucking great. And hopefully I'll get some inside information on this. His new thing that he's working on, he's writing for Watchmen for HBO. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, the Watchmen movie, the theatrical edit was a flawed Movie. That was awful. But it was no, really bad. I see the director's cut, the longer version. I actually think it's a pretty decent film. I, I also I I didn't really care for it because f to give it credit, it didn't pander at all. Right? It didn't care if you knew what the fuck was going on. Sure, I, I, I like give that. it credit for that, but I had no idea what the fuck was going on. I think if you watch the longer edit, which clocks in at around three hours, Ugh. 
No, it's 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 much better. It's a classic case of a studio overcompromising and saying this cannot be three hours long, cut it down to two and a half. So what you end up with is a movie that's too long and makes no fucking sense, rather than a movie that is too long, but you can follow the story, and actually it's a pretty rewarding experience. All right, I might give it another try. I guess what they're doing, I talked to them a little bit, is they're, they're ignoring the movie. The t- you know, the TV show is going to be its own thing, and it's Damon Lindelof. Yeah, see, outside of Tomorrowland, which I absolutely loved, I'm not a fan of Damon Lindelof's stuff. I liked Prometheus, and I loved Star Trek, the first Star Trek. He was not involved in that. He wrote the first Star Trek movie. No, he didn't. He wrote the second one. No, the Back in Time one. No, he didn't. Well, his he name's did because, not on the credits. Because I played in a poker game with him. Well, I watched it again recently, and his name is not on the credits. I We talked about it, because I said, what was it like? Uh, right? Because he was doing time travel in Star Trek at the same time he was doing time travel on whatever TV show he was working on, Lost, and he said it was incredibly confusing, and he had all these note cards up and different things. Um, I literally rewatched <clears throat> that movie because my daughter had never seen it at the weekend. I am now actually searching on IMDb to verify that my eyes did not deceive me. Star Trek 2009. That's the film we're talking about here, right? Yeah. Okay. Writers. Robert Orchie and Alex Kurtzman. Damon Lindelof is not credited as a writer on the first Maybe movie. he was doing rewrites on it, okay. I guess, and they, the, oftentimes those guys don't get credited. Anyway, um, yeah, well, you know, he did The Leftovers also, which many people regard as being one of the best TV shows of all time. I got halfway through the first season, did not finish it, um, but I can recognize that it was very good. I just got tipped off as to where the story was going, which was AK Nowhere, uh, the same way that Lost went nowhere, and I gave up on it. But uh, I'm still pretty excited, like because the guy clearly has some kind of talent. So I'm excited for this, and hopefully I'll get some inside scoop from Court. Let's talk about stuff that isn't very good. Crucially, last week's poker movies, which many of you tweeted about in the last seven days. Um, Jules Redding felt it necessary to watch both films before listening to the podcast. Thank you, Jules. He says, since I'm not going to get that three hours, 26 minutes back, I feel I should give my reviews. Lucky you. Subpar, but mostly watchable movie with some questionable poker. Deal. Dreadful. Hammy acting, cringe-worthy visual effects, atrocious dialogue, music, and sound editing. It made me laugh out loud and such bad poker. I gotta disagree with this review. Like, these people who think Deal is so much worse than Lucky You, I think Lucky You is like a 4 out of 10, and Deal is a 3 out of 10. Like, I don't think they're that far apart. I do not disagree. Uh, James Wern says, I've never watched Lucky You or Deal, and after listening to the podcast, (laughs) I never will. Thanks for saving three and a half hours of my life, guys. You're welcome. However, Jack had the opposite reaction. I think Poker in the Ears has had the opposite effect on me. Never have I wanted to watch two films so much in my whole life. Yeah, Jesse J-Cat, who occasionally I will reference on the show, was all about watching Deal after we had done our review of it. So Okay, and then we have Todd, who needed alcohol to get through both movies. Oh, Todd Nissoff, yes. I enjoyed his tweets. Red wine, vodka, and lucky you. Lucky me. His reaction to the movie... The poker was ludicrous at times, but I kind of liked Lucky You, and I don't think it was just the alcohol talking. I, I find it a highly unlikable film, so I- I'm not with you on that one. Uh, a 2015 Melbeck accompanied Deal, and here's Todd's final tweet about that movie. Deal has one and only one thing 
going over lucky you it was shorter i can't disagree with that well, the people have spoken, Joe, because we did run a poll on at PokerStars TV. We asked them to vote, which is worse, lucky you or deal? The results are in a 57% majority. So it was close, but the majority voted that lucky you is a worse film than deal. I agree with the result of this poll. People, you got it right. I'm shocked. I agree also that it's worse. Like deal... Also, if you can sort of adjust it for uh, for budget, like based on the amount of money they spent on Lucky You versus what they spent on Deal, Deal is uh, sorry, Deal is far better, far better movie. They did way more with uh, with less. And uh, we're gonna talk to uh, Jennifer Tilly later in the show, and she's in Deal, so we will have to talk to her a little bit about that. Uh, I had a little bit of social media I wanted to cover too, Jake. Sure. This week, uh, you posted a screenshot of the Channel Four guide it was the uh, sky epg showing that yes we are back on tv we'll come to that in a moment so yeah so uh it's pretty clear on here thursday 12 35 a.m channel four so of course i i reposted this put it on facebook james is blowing up on facebook 11 people have shared it 202 likes on just one of my facebook pages people are very excited 44 comments although some of those comments are where can i watch it Jesus Christ. Uh, including a couple. Okay, now, if you were specific and said, I'm not in the UK or Ireland, how do I watch it? Then you could reply and say, well, 24 hours later, it'll be online. But if you're just going to say, where can I watch it? Th that's kind of, you know. Yes, uh, it's, it seems pretty clear to me. Now, the one thing that is a little un unclear, which is, uh, I guess you guys do it differently here. And I think some of your, your own countrymen don't understand that. This is, we've argued about this before too, me and James off the air. This is Thursday, 12.35 a.m. So this is Wednesday night into Thursday. Correct. And the best way to describe it is Wednesday night into Thursday morning. But officially, Thursday begins at midnight. So it is the early hours of Thursday morning. Right. And I think in America, we do this differently because like... You know, the Tonight Show comes on at 11.30, and then Seth Meyers comes on at 12.30, and we wouldn't say that that's Thursday's Seth Meyers show. I think in TV land, it is slightly different, and most TV networks would still consider this to be Wednesday. Yeah, so I think that might be part of the confusion, but do you remember the Mad Turk, James? I do. I remember... <laughs> the Mad Turk playing on a cash game show that we worked on a few years back. I remember the Mad Turk showing EPT up at London, I think. EPT London and being on the feature table sat next to Vicky Corrin. Yes. So the Mad Turk and I are Facebook friends, and he left about four comments asking, where can he watch this? Uh, and I didn't get a chance. He left three comments asking where he can watch it and then replied to someone else's comment asking where he can watch it. And when I finally replied to him... Um, he was like, link, please, link. And I was like, there's there's no link. It's, it's on television. And then he sent me this private message, which I think explains a lot. Hi, how do we watch WSOP Europe, please? Oh, for heaven's sake. And I, this, I am very friendly to people who write to me on Facebook. I answer almost everyone, but I do get touchy when people don't understand who I work for and who I don't work for. So I just wrote, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't work for WSOPE, and then like a grimacing face. And he said, ha, sorry, pal. I thought you were. Thanks. And I said, oh, all good. To which he replies, by the way, I still love Spanish accent. Lol, see you. <laughs> this man 
thinks, not only does he think I work for World Series of Poker Europe, he thinks I'm El Comontador. Oh, the mad Turk. You My couldn't be more wrong. My goodness. One other Facebook piece of uh, information here is uh, I got tagged in a post by this guy named Bobby James. He's been very supportive. Come to see me do stand-up. Uh, has come come down to EPTs before when, we're, when we've been in London. And the post says, Cheers, Joe Stapleton, boss. Love you, bruh. And he's attached the tree podi- a tree podia video. See, I tell you, people love these. He does love it. This dude won thirty-seven thousand dollars. Nice job in the tournament. I think you'll find you won more than thirty-seven thousand dollars. And I decided to give it a watch because I didn't because he didn't he doesn't write it in the Facebook post how much he won, what it was. He only cares about this winning moments video. And so when I went to watch it, um, am Am I really bad in them? Like, Lee Davy wrote this article about how terrible I am in them, and I listened to it, and I was like, I might be really bad. <laughs> am I Is am I bad? You've watched a few of them. Am I bad? The ones I've heard, I think, have sounded fine. Okay, fi- I'll take fine. You'll take I'm, fine. I'm okay with fine, because we have to record more lines. That's how popular these things are. We're doing more lines right after the show today, and I want to make sure... <laughs> That, I'm, that I don't need to like go take an acting class before we do this. Because I listened to it and I was like, I might really suck at this. Just before we get to this week's guest, uh, we have teased the fact that, yes, we are back on TV. We've known for some time that it was likely to happen, but until the contract was agreed and signed, we didn't really want to talk about it. But Wednesdays are the new Tuesdays. If we are going to say Wednesday night rather than Thursday morning... The PokerStars Championship is now airing on Channel 4 in the UK on Wednesday nights. Now, if you miss it when it goes out live, because granted, it is on very late in the day. Yeah. And maybe you forgot to set your recorder or forgot to have the series link attached. If you miss it, you can watch it via all four or channel4.com slash poker. But for the rest of the world, outside of the UK and Ireland, it'll be available to watch the next day via pokerstars.tv. Um... So here's what's going to happen. In the eight weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to follow the Monte Carlo main event. Episode one was out this week, episode two next week, and we're going to recap those two shows on next week's podcast. And the great thing is we are following the Monte Carlo main event from day two to day six. Multi-day tournament coverage is back. Because I'm sure you had a lot of people ask you, A lot of people on that Facebook post, I'm glad you answered those questions. Where can we watch it if we can't catch it on TV? And... Oh, are they doing just final tables again this year? The answer is no. We are showing you almost the entire tournament. Granted, it's just the Monte Carlo main event. That's going to take us through until Christmas. But then from January, you've got 10 continuous weeks, 10 episodes of the PokerStars Championship Cash Challenge. So this is the cash game that we filmed in Monte Carlo. Very similar format to the big game with a staked qualifier. And I think people are going to really enjoy these shows because it's been a while since there's been a cash game on tv yeah and i was there when it was filmed but i've seen very little of it so i'm excited oh speaking of facebook ali reza fatehi says if you need any personal information for him for the shows get in touch he'll happily happily provide anything excellent because ali is one of the players uh on one of those cash tables so here's what we'll do we'll recap the tv shows just like we used to do back in the day on poker in the years starting next week with episodes one and two of the monte carlo main event that's the bubble show and the post-bubble bust-out bonanza and we're going to be joined on next week's podcast by Robert Pankowski who was the online qualifier who filmed this video blog and 
did manage to cash. We saw that on this week's show. We'll continue following his journey in episode two, and we'll talk to him next week. Cool. Uh, so let's talk to this week's guest right now. As Joe said, someone who can bridge the gap between poker and horror for our Halloween special. Very excited to have this lady on the show. We last saw her on our tour at the PCA a couple of years ago when she played on Shark Cage, but she's played on so many poker shows. She's been in poker movies. She's been in proper movies and proper TV shows. She's in one of my daughter's favourite movies, Monsters, Inc. Very thrilled to have on the podcast, Jennifer Tilly. Hey, Jen, how's it going? Oh, everything's good. Thank you. Are you in uh, Bel Air in Los Angeles or Malibu? or so- You're always somewhere glamorous. Yes, I'm, I'm in glamorous Los Angeles, and you guys are in London, I believe. London, England. I used to spend so much time in London because, you know, they used to have all these poker shows that they filmed there. They yes. had uh, something called Big Game, which was a 24-hour show, and then they changed it to 48-hour show. And Neil Channing would always try to stay the whole time. And then they switched to a thing where the audience voted off the people they didn't want. And so then the audience members would just vote off Neil Channing just to fuck with him. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to stay the whole time. It was a point of pride for him that he always played the entire time. Um, but that was like a bad thing because what the audience members do is they vote off the people that they love to hate. So they would vote off Viffer, who was like great television and, you know, great for the game. And then they would leave on the people that were really not so quite so interesting. I think, <laughs> I think I you have identified in microcosm the fundamental flaw with democracy, which is when you let people have a say, they make really dumb decisions. <laughs> right. They name they name the boat Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> exactly. I don't think that it's necessary. Take a little swipe at England, and then they want they decide Brexit would be really fun and exciting. <laughs> Precisely. And if we're going to talk about the results of elections, maybe we should turn the magnifying glass a little bit closer to your oh, home. Uh, oh, but this is oh. this is. This is not a political show. We don't want to get into that here. Um, there you go. So when was the last time you were over here then, playing poker? The last time I was playing poker, well, the um, I think it was Matchroom.com. They used to do so many poker uh, shows. They did uh, they did Premier League, which was a fantastic show. And they did uh, Poker Open. And they did so many shows. Phil and I were actually thinking of getting an apartment in London. <laughs> I used to play at the um, Victoria Grosvenor uh, yeah. Casino all the time. I used to play with John Duffy and um, Neil Channing. Neil would always set up the games. And so I love London. And when I think of London, I always think of poker. And, you know, they used to have the World uh, Series of Poker Europe there in England. And that's when Phil won his first bracelet. And it was my birthday. And I had a birthday dinner to go to with my friends. And Phil had to do all these interviews. So he gave me the money. I think it was about 200,000 pounds or something. And he gave me the bracelet. And he goes, oh, can you put these in the safe before you go? <laughs> and I was in such a hurry. I put the money in the safe, but I forgot to leave, close the safe. I left it wide open. <laughs> And then I took, everyone's like, bring the bracelet, bring the bracelet. So I brought the bracelet to dinner with non-poker people. And everybody's trying it on. And right in the middle of dinner, I said, I think I left the safe open. And I said, should I text Phil and tell him to go over and check it? And they said, don't don't worry him. You probably didn't leave it open. And we went home and I thought, well, the do not disturb sign is on the door. And so I thought it will probably be okay. I went home. The maid had not only gone in and cleaned the room. She made the bed and then she put the old cover on top of the safe, which was wide open. I think she saw it was open and she ran out of the room. She thought it was some kind of terrible trap. So not any money at all was gone. So English people are very, they're very um, 
honest and ethical, I guess. But uh, yeah, so that's my memory, my memory, one of my memories of England. But you were just here for the Chucky, the Cult of Chucky premiere also, right? Because I think I missed it by like a week. I, yes, I was there for Fright Fest. And so we were there and we did a whole bunch of interviews. I stayed at the Soho Hotel, which is great because it's right near the theaters. Like every night we'd go to the theater and it would be a five minute walk and um, yeah, I love London. And then a lot of times I try to go at Christmas time. My friend has like a special deal at the Ritz. So we go Ooh. there. Oh, yeah, we're fancy. We walk around. We look at the Christmas decorations. We try to dress like English people. <laughs> <laughs> England's very, uh, London's very charming at Christmas time. They have like carolers and stuff like that. Yes, yes. At, at the Ritz, every day we would come home and there would be so much singing going on in the lobby. And I said to uh, the guys in the lobby, oh, it's so Christmassy. And they rolled their eyes and they go, oh, my God, we can't wait until this is over. So I guess if you have to listen to it all day, it becomes like music, except for it's like live people with scarves and, and uh, red and white clothes on. Right. You have to actually sort of be nice to them because they're people. How did the, so, I mean, obviously been coming over here for a long time, playing poker, you know, all those shows you just mentioned, they haven't been on in years. How did all this start for you poker wise? Well, poker wise. Okay. I always loved poker and I, I thought I was really good at it. <laughs> like every poker player thinks that they're really good. Um, I used to, I had a boyfriend that played poker and he had a poker game on Monday nights and I'm super competitive and I really wanted to go to his poker game. And he's like, but you don't play poker. So I learned how to play poker cause I thought then I would be invited to his poker game. And then I found out, um, I couldn't go to his poker game anyway because I was a girl and it was only for men. So Boo. I started my hashtag everyday <laughs> sexism. <laughs> I know. I don't know what's going on at that poker game. But um, so then I just started teaching all my friends how to play poker. And everywhere I went on location, I would teach all the other actors how to play poker. And usually the Teamsters knew how to play poker. So in between scenes, I'd be playing with my per diem. Like, I'd be in the back with the Teamsters. <laughs> but that was, like, way before the poker boom, which was 2005. So, you know, now everyone plays Texas Hold'em. We used to play seven-card stud all the time. And then we played Dealer's Choice. So you play all those crazy games like Follow the Bitch and Low Chicago. And we felt like the more complicated you made the game, the better poker player you were. So you were all <laughs> you go, okay, we're going to play Low Chicago with a window and a buy. And someone would say, well, I've never heard of that game. And then you feel like, yeah, that's because I'm badass. And then you'd explain it to everybody. Um, then my regular poker game started when I was doing a show called Key West. And it was a whole bunch of us. And we were stuck in Key West for five months. And so we would play poker every week. And um, we would make up games like games. Um, we would call them. Uh, we'd make up games uh, and we'd make them around uh, popular events. So I remember one of the games was called uh, Tanya Harding in the Park. There was <laughs> going on. It was really, really fun to make up games. Um, and a lot of our games were very politically incorrect. But you would say like Tanya Harding in the Park. Like you'd put a card in the middle and you go, uh, "Oh, that's Tanya Harding," and you know, and, and that's the wild card. James, and do you know this reference by the way? Tanya Harding. I was know Tanya Harding. Just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know this was the ice skater the olympic ice skater who hired a guy to smash yes. the knee of her rival it's one of those great sports stories that been so many documentaries yeah. and dramas about it's one of those crazy white trash americana stories. <laughs> <laughs> like, when that happened every single day i was looking at the news and my mouth would be open i'd be like 
oh my god how do people behave that way there's a new movie coming up with margot robbie playing tonya hardy which is like you have this big beefy olympic athlete and you get like the most beautiful sexy actress in the world to play her that's hollywood for you yeah that is uh, uh that's classic hollywood so yeah uh, so Tanya Harding would be in the middle, and then it would be like uh, Nancy Kerrigan would be qu- uh, the queen of hearts or any queen. And then if Tanya Harding got turned over, then she would take out <laughs> Nancy Kerrigan, which would be a queen. So they'd be eliminated from your stack. So that was really fun. So anyway, I played a game called um, – I think it was called Hollywood Poker, and it was WPT show. It didn't last very long. And remember they had that Bravo Celebrity Poker Showdown? Yeah. So that Kind of the WPT's answer to the Bravo Celebrity Showdown. So it was like uh, celebrities playing poker like really badly. Um, James Woods was actually on the episode I did. And it was funny because I ran into him about three weeks later. And he started talking about every single hand and what his odds were. He was like, he was like a calculator. And I was like, wow, dude, you really take this seriously. Like, I couldn't remember anything. I just remember the looks on people's faces when I turned over my cards and they were totally astonished. And I thought that's because I was a really good player. It's <laughs> really astonished that I would even play that hand. So off of that, I got invited to the celebrity uh, poker. What's that? Celebrity what the celebrity invitational there were so many of them around that time and i used to watch every single poker show going and they ranged from the watchable to the barely watchable but i still watched every single minute of every single episode did you watch the one where phil Locke was the dealer james because that one that was one of the hollywood home games yeah 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 Hollywood home games. Yes, that was very early on. He would go because when poker started, everybody's trying to figure out how to incorporate celebrities into poker. So on this show, uh, Phil would go around to celebrities' houses and he would be the dealer. I remember he went to the house of um, the guys from that 70s show. And I think he went to um, um, Vince Van Patten's house. And so then when people got more into poker, they realized, like, I don't think my theory is people do not want to watch celebrities play poker because people are very sophisticated about poker now. And then all the poker players became superstars in their own right. Like, it's the strangest thing is that the celebrities are really, really into the poker players. Like, people get more excited about meeting Phil if they're into poker than they do about meeting me. So, um yeah, so all those sort of Hollywood celebrity poker games kind of died out a little bit. and Except for, you know, the World Series of Poker, if there's ever any celebrity playing, the cameras are always around them. And, you know, like, uh, who's who plays? Kevin Pollock, Brad Garrett. Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> but you're naming there celebrities who are genuine poker enthusiasts. I know what you're saying, Jennifer. Around that time, they were just roping in any celebrities they could find to play poker and would teach them, like, the ranking of hands and just leave them to go go to yeah, it Whereas- they would literally teach them like 10 minutes before the show started recording yeah whereas <laughs> so now phil, phil used to teach uh, at the he teaches my girlfriends when they would go to the celebrity invitational and he had some really good advice he would say if your cards add up to pre-flop if they add up to a good blackjack hand just keep betting (laughs) (laughs) that's a good tip but these days it seems to be that the only celebrities you get on the circuit are those who are genuinely passionate about the game and know how to play and that's the best of both there's no more free money for them anymore (laughs) (laughs) yes that's the real reason 
Um, Absolutely. There's no free roles. And, you know, celebrities always think that they should get everything for free. And like all the shows now, it's really, really expensive to be somebody playing poker on TV now. Because I play on the Poker Night in America, which is the cheapest one. And it used to be like a $5,000 buy-in. But now I've never sat down with like, uh, it's usually about $20,000 now. But, you know, sometimes they'll get a celebrity on the show and they'll have their $5,000 and they'll look around. They'll be really, really sort of perturbed to see that they're the smallest stack at the table. Because to them, a celebrity, $5,000 is a lot of money. But to a poker player, it's just a dab. They, and, uh, they actually know, had, a, Jen, they had uh, Brad Garrett on one of the episodes and they bought him in with $5,000 and $5 chips. Yes, I was on that episode. I remember it took him forever to count out. We would be eyeballing it. We'd be like, it's five stacks. You know? <laughs> like, how much is it? And Brad is actually a very good poker player. I think that was part of his shtick. And it was funny to see like the uh, real poker players just getting really impatient, especially Jason Mercier. He's like, this dude is cutting into my urn. <laughs> <laughs> Because Jason was just cleaning up the day before Jason won a Tesla. He tweeted out, thanks, Jennifer Tilly. Um, he's like, oh, I won a Tesla. And he, no, I think he took a picture of a Tesla. And he goes, thanks, Jennifer Tilly. But it wasn't just me. He won a Tesla off of everybody at the entire table. I think at the end of the day when they do the tally of who won and who lost, every single person had lost except for Jason. And Jason had like a Tesla amount of money at the top of the stack. That sounds like Jason Mercia. One thing I wanted to touch on quickly is that Occasionally, Joe and I will spend far too much time on what is meant to be a poker podcast talking about movies. But sometimes we manage to merge both subjects and talk about poker movies. And last week, we decided to do a retrospective review of two mid-2000s poker movies, Lucky You and Deal. And we have to ask you about Deal because obviously we went back and watched it. I'd seen it before. Joe, you saw it for the first time in which you played a character called Karen Razor Jones, but I've only just discovered, because Joe wrote it down for me, that it was actually Razor, as in R-A-Z-O-R, -R, <laughs> and not Razor, as in R-A-I-S-E-R. -E I thought it was a poker reference. <laughs> okay, that was really funny. Um, I think my ex-manager was, he was one of the producers or something, and, you know, it was really kind of a terrible script. Okay, it was a really terrible script. And um, they were, he was calling up and it's like, they want you to be in this. And I was like, I'm not going to be in that. And, you know, I still had my, my, I was still like kind of a, a big star back then. And I was like, I'm not going to do this movie. And then um, Phil and Antonio were on the movie playing themselves and they were down in New Orleans or wherever it was filming it. And I didn't want to be left out. And so I was like, <laughs> Okay, I'll do, but you know, it's like fine for a poker player to be in like a not great movie about poker. Um, but it's, I think, for Academy, an actor, Academy Award. Yeah, at the time, it was like sort of not something that I should really have been doing, but I didn't. And I thought the interesting thing was the script originally, the character's name was Karina Jett. And I was like, well, there is a real Karina Jett out there. You can't like use a real actress, a real poker player's name. And so then they changed it to Karina Razor. I didn't even know they added the Jones. But what's interesting, because that was the second movie that I did with Burt Reynolds, and I'm a huge Burt Reynolds fan. And Burt, you know, he was... <laughs> he was dialing in in this movie. 
But I actually thought it turned out a lot better than the script was. The only thing I remember is the director was fascinated with poker and he was fascinated with Phil and Antonio. And Phil and Antonio were doing these prop bets for thousands of dollars in between takes. And, you know, this is a low-budget movie. And low-budget movies, they're like, time is money. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And he would not film until they finished their bet. Like, he would just be hanging around like a kid in the candy shop watching them. And the, everybody would be like, it's time to shoot. And he would be like, well, let's just wait until we see how this pans out. So it was a really fun time doing that movie. But I don't think, it, no, it was not very good. And you know Lucky You, which is also, I t hear, a terrible movie. I have the script. I got it from somewhere, and I had it home. And Phil grabbed it, and I just started um, um dating Phil at the time and he started marking it up he uh, every single page is like this is wrong and this is wrong and this is terrible he says I have to be a consultant on this movie he goes this is like the worst um this the poker is all wrong the I story just, checks out yeah he did about 20 pages and just with all <laughs> these markings I'm like Phil give me my script he's like back. this third act needs a lot of work have they not read save the cat has anyone uh not read <laughs> Sid Field who wrote this uh yes Sid Field screenwriter Screen, screen, what's that called? Elements of screenwriting? I think, yeah, I think that's exactly it. So I want to talk a, a little bit, if we can, before we run out of time with you, I want to give you an opportunity because we decided to have you on because it's our sort of Halloween show. And I okay. want to talk about Cult of Chucky. And guess what, everybody? Cult of Chucky, 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah, we were 100% for a while, and then two people came in and stole the, um, you know, decided to ruin Bastards. the park. There's like that yeah, one guy who, that, there's like the guy that gave the one negative review to like Toy Story 3, There's and there's one negative right. review, I think, for Get Out. It's probably the same guy that didn't like Cult of Chucky. Yeah, probably. Cult of Chucky is a really good movie, and it's kind of astonishing because it's polarizing. Like, Don wrote it for the fans, but sometimes I scroll through the comments and they're all like, this movie is terrible, but they misspell every single word. And so you're like, I think some people just like to be ornery. They like to be, they think they're the only person that didn't like Cult of Chucky, so they think that that's going to make them stand out. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really funny about when people say see a movie that's universally lauded and then they, they say, this is the worst movie I ever saw, you wonder what they're seeing. And sometimes I think, you know, this movie was made for, this is the way that they release movies now. It was made to be released on Blu-ray and DVD because it was more profitable for Universal. But I think sometimes people say, oh, no wonder it went straight to DVD. They say, oh, this is a straight-to-DVD movie, and so then they're prepared for a subpar film. But I think it's it's actually people have said it's one of the best movies in the Chucky Pantheon. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> there is yeah. now a Pantheon. <laughs> it's it's canon. It's actually Chucky canon. <laughs> yeah, canon. That that sounds even more exalted. But it's, it's very um, – if Don wasn't obsessed with Chucky's, he could make like these sort of, I think, Academy Award quality movies. It's very melancholy. When I was doing uh, interviews with him, he was talking about all his influences. Most of them I didn't even – you know, I've never heard of these people, like these foreign film directors. But I remember he said he thought it was like his Boonwell Chucky. Ooh. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's very interesting. But it takes place in a mental asylum. Chucky's back. Tiff the character I play is back. Uh, there's homage, an homage to Bound, which I think the, uh, the boys will like. Oh, that's the, hilarious. 
Did you see it at the I, end of the movie? <laughs> I bought the movie last night. So I'm in England and I knew it was on Netflix, but it's actually not on Netflix UK. So I bought it to watch it last night, but the internet was so bad in my hotel room that it didn't download until this morning. But I did. I probably better for you that I paid 15 bucks for it. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I get a piece of, you know, they're, they're notoriously, um, I don't think I get a piece of the DVDs. I don't know why I'm promoting it so much. I guess. <laughs> and I spend a lot of time on the internet <laughs> but it's it's really a great movie and people loved it you know when I saw it in the theaters Phil was screaming like a little girl he was like <laughs> so it was really it's really a fun movie and people even if you haven't seen any of the other Chucky movies you'll enjoy it but if you have one, some of the things that are interesting like the very first movie there's a little boy named Andy Barkley played by Alex Vincent he was like six years old I think it was 30 years ago the first Chucky movie was made and he comes back now yeah so he's like a 36 year old bearded vigilante and you know he's understandably scarred by his uh, Chucky childhood Chucky experience and so you know he's back for revenge and um, and Don used the same actor that was in the movie 30 years ago like you know how studios are these days they'd be like oh great you're bringing Anthony Barkley back like mm -mm, I think we can get Zac Efron <laughs> that it makes it like very eerie that it's the same actor and I always thought like how interesting for him because you know child actors they don't have a lot of you know sort of job security and for the last 30 years he's been going around to all the comic book conventions you know making a living signing pictures of him with Chucky and now all of a sudden he's starring in the latest Chucky movie and he's great in the film so it's it's that's like one of the very interesting things in it and um and another interesting thing is Fiona Dorf, who plays the lead actress, is the daughter of Brad Dorf, who's been doing the voice of Chucky for 30 years. So that's like a really strange sort of incestual um, twist. That Jen, is she single? Because I, I was just assumed they were married, so I wasn't going to get a big crush on her. But I see her on your social media all the time. Yeah. No, she's super hot. She's super single, as far as I know. Yeah, she's a she's a very interesting girl. She's a great actress. I mean, she's in this movie, her character's in a wheelchair and she's in a mental asylum. And a lot of times she's in a straight jacket. Um, I think the only time she, yeah. So it's a very grim movie, but you're really rooting for her. And that's without, you know, seeing her with like makeup on or playing with a, a little child or anything. She doesn't do any of the things in movies that injure you to a leading character. She's just, you know grim and cries and screams a lot but <laughs> she's fascinating she's like ingmar bergman of the horror set i got uh, one more question about this movie and then i would hope that you want to play one of my damn dumb games with me uh jen do you play uh, i know you're playing tiffany again are you playing yourself again because i have to tell you it was really disturbing watching mm -hmm. i think which one was it uh where you played the seed of yeah seed of chucky uh in the mm -hmm. theater and uh, because I know you, it was really upsetting to me to see you in peril. And so I'm wa I want to know how, how much to be you prepared. You saw Bride of Chucky, right? Didn't you? I saw Bride of Chucky, and then the, they showed the, the seed of Chucky right afterward. Oh, you stayed for that? Wow. You yes. are a hard worker. Well, okay. <laughs> and Joe doesn't understand that it's just a movie and not real, clearly. <laughs> And see, well, Phil found it very hard to see me making out with somebody else. He's like, I can't believe you kissed Redman. I was like, I had to. It was in the script. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I actually sub started dating Phil just as Cedar Chucky came out. So he went in the theater to see it with see it with me. And I thought he was going to be, oh, my God, that was brilliant. And the only thing he said was, I can't believe you were kissing Red Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey. So um, in Cedar Chucky for the Uninitiated, um, I play two characters. I play um, Tiffany the Little Plastic Doll. And then I play Jennifer Tilly, international actress, international star, stage and screen. And um, Tiffany the Little Doll is Jennifer Tilly's um, biggest fan. And in the movie, Jennifer Tilly is playing Tiffany in the movie, the Chucky uh, series. It gets so, very meta, James. I was going to say, my brain can't cope with this <laughs> this time of day. It's very meta, and uh, Tiffany has a plan to enter Jennifer Tilly's body and uh, become Jennifer Tilly. So she's always chasing Jennifer Tilly, yelling at her for her bad career choices and for being a slut. <laughs> she's sort of feeling proprietal towards Jennifer's body. So at the end of the movie, she goes into my body. So in this movie, cut, cut, flash forward 14 years, I'm Tiffany in Jennifer Tilly's body in Cult of Chucky. In fact, there's even a line in the movie where uh, Fiona says, well, huh, you look a lot like Jennifer Tilly. But we actually shot an alternative line where they introduced Miss Jennifer Tilly because Tiffany is now living in my palatial uh, mansion in Beverly Hills. <laughs> she's living the life of a movie star. She's, you know, she's very upwardly mobile. In the movie, she's dressed like Kate Blanchett and Carol because she, when she got in Jennifer Tilly's body, she was kind of disappointed because she realized Jennifer Tilly was just like C-list and she wants to be A-list. And so now she's like trying to be classier than the actual Jennifer ever was. And so there was a line where they introduced me and said, um, oh, uh, this is Jennifer Tilly. She's uh, the guardian of the little the little child that was in the last movie. And, um, and Fiona said... Jennifer Tilly is the guardian of Alice. And I had a line, but they actually cut it out. I said, well, yes, I'm an Academy Award nominee, the actress and the champion poker player. I think I'm a perfectly good role model for our children. But they <laughs> cut that out because Universal thought that that was a little too confusing. So Natalie introduced me as Tiffany, and she just says, you look a lot like Jennifer Tilly and leaves it at that. So, yes, it's um, the Chucky universe is a very interesting universe, and anything can happen. And when you see this movie, you will see anything does happen, and a lot. Okay, before we play your stupid game, yes. James, uh, I just want to pick a bone with you. Okay. Okay, James, I'm on the show called Poker Night in America. Yes. And or Steve's came on, I would happily play poker and nobody ever noticed, like if I did something that was not GTO. And now every time I watch it, Steve's is screaming, Jennifer, what are you doing? Stop it. You have seven high. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, Oh, Jennifer, Jennifer is gonna do uh feel a lot more pain than Chucky ever caused her. Like Everything I do, Stape says something about what a bad play it is, you know, in in an amusing way, of course. But hmm. it's because I care about you, Jennifer. It genu like the <laughs> same way when I saw Tiffany trying to kill you and enter your body. When I see you trying to kill you and give all your chips away, I have to scream. Okay, but if Jason Mercier is three betting with uh, seven high, you would go. Wow, look at this is why he's Jason Mercier. Nobody's ever gonna put him on seven high. But the problem is, 
I think I have to work on my live tells because I'm always trying to check race with seven high when the other person has a sad or is flopping <laughs> or something like that. I'm like, I feel in the air, somebody has a good hand. And then I think maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I will say there is a little bit of truth to what you said. And I've actually called myself out on this multiple times on the air where I go, well, I want to say this is a terrible play, but if I saw Ike Haxton do it, I'd probably be fine with it. I have said that before. I do think that there's probably a slight difference between the way Jason would approach a hand and you would. However, I still love watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you could say, wow, this is a brilliant play that went terribly, terribly you know what? <laughs> you're right. You're right, Jen. And I'm going to be, I'm glad that we had this talk. And next time that you're on the show, we'll see if we can do things a little differently. I was going to say this one I thing. Want, I don't want to tamp down your, your creative, you know, no, as long as I can still, yourself. as long as I can still make Chucky jokes, I don't care. I can be nicer. It's fine. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're hysterical tapes, but, um, Anyway, I just wanted to call you out on that. No, don't worry. I think everyone should call Joe out on his shortcomings, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but it's about to get a lot worse, because if you think having your poker play dissected by Joe Stapleton is a bad situation, wait till you've played race situations. All right, Jennifer. So I don't know if you've seen me do this one before. I've been doing it for years, and it's really running out of steam. But we play this game called <laughs> Race Situations, where you're aware of races in poker, Jen, where two... Two hands yeah. go all in. One of them has a slight mathematical advantage, so something like ace-king versus pocket sevens. And what right. I'm going to do is I'm going to present you with two nearly evenly matched things, and you have to tell me which oh. of those two things has the slight mathematical advantage. Okay. All I've right. never seen this game before, but I, and I'm nervous now, but I will give it my best. You've basically got a 50-50 shot. I will say there are right and wrong answers. Well, that's oh. the key thing. It's not always 50-50. One is going to be 52 and one's going to be 48. You've got to guess the one which is 52%. Exactly. And one of them is a hidden domination. <gasps> There's a hidden domination in the game. So like an ace-king versus ace-queen situation. And because of Fright Fest and Chucky and Halloween, they're all horror movie related. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Race situations. Race number one, Freddy versus Jason. Uh, Freddy, of course, because Freddy can go into the dreams and uh, kill you in the dreams. And because of one-liners, yes, Freddy is correct. <laughs> she is one for one. Jason does not have one-liners. Question two, Rosemary's Baby versus The Omen. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, because there is a baby, and um, it's very eerie and creepy, and the omen, um, the kid is a little older, and you know, smaller children are a lot more adorable than older creepy children, so I, I think smaller creepy babies have the edge over creepy toddlers. Jennifer is correct. She's two for two. Question three. I'm loving the fact that we are getting full reasoning behind every answer. <laughs> this is what I want people to do, but they usually don't know enough about what they're talking about, so they just make a guess. Question Question three, let the right one in versus the American remake, let me in. Well, I did not see let me in, but Phil thinks let the right one in is one of the creepiest, scariest movies. Oh, oh I didn't see the, I didn't see the, um, so let the right one in is the foreign one. Correct. Okay, we only saw the American one, but that was really scary. So I would say the American one because um, who wants to read subtitles? <laughs> 
This one is very close. This is like 49.51, but unfortunately, the Swedish version is slightly better. I agree okay, with you, Jen. I should have guessed the Swedish version because you know what? The Europeans do everything better. They are so close, though. Uh, question number four. The theme from The Exorcist versus the theme from Halloween. The theme from The Exorcist, of course. Mm. Nothing worse, nothing scarier than bells. This What's one, this one's crazy. I don't even believe this one myself, but it's actually the theme from Halloween. I'm with Jen on this one. How do you come to that conclusion? I don't know. That's just what it is. Uh, next question. Uh, which I never saw Halloween. What? Okay. No, you need, I never saw Halloween. You need to see that one. It's it's a it is. But you know the the so, the music in The Exorcist. It was sort of like how does it go? We can't really do it. Or it's, it's discordant. There's nothing scarier than discordant melody. Well, so, Halloween's very discordant. Hey, look, I don't choose the answers. We had Jamie Lee Curtis, and Jamie Lee Curtis was kind of mean to me on the set of House Arrest. Oh, okay. See, so yeah. that puts a new paint job on things. We got to move on to the next question. Here we go. Uh, question number five: Steak to the heart versus a silver bullet. Uh, steak to the heart because it's messier and gorier. Silver bullet is is very clean. You know what's really weird is that the the judges originally had silver bullet, but when they heard your explanation, they changed to stick to the heart. Have you ever thought of being a lawyer and presenting legal arguments? Because I think you'd be able to convince a jury. Remember that song from the seventies where they say and take along that silver dinner bell? Remember that song? No, I don't know that one. That's either. the only part I remember. It was about a vampire. Both from the seventies. Oh, that was before your time. That was before you two were born. Anyway, continue. Uh, question number six. There's a total of uh, ten, by the way. Que question number six. The line "Here's Johnny" from The Shining, or the line "They're here" from Poltergeist. I think they're here is scarier because you're not quite sure what's here and it's eerie and you know she's seeing something or feeling something that you can't feel. Here's Johnny. It's just a Jack Nicholson sort of Jack Nicholsonism, and it's scary enough that he's coming through with the axe. And the Here's Johnny doesn't add too much fear on top of of the axe coming. It's not scarier than the axe coming through the door. Jennifer, you nailed it. There you go. Question yeah. number seven. Fast zombies versus slow zombies. Um, I think slow zombies is more authentic because, you know, their their flesh is decaying and they're dead and it's really hard to walk when you're dead. If it's a fast zombie, that's really, that's not authentic. A fast zombie is not really a it's, zombie it's, effect. No, a fast that's zombie is shit scary because slow zombies you can run away from. Fast zombies are going to catch up to you and they're going to eat you. Jennifer is right yeah, in that the slow zombies are the are more authentic and are uh, the classic, but unfortunately fast oh. zombies has the slight mathematical edge here. No, no that's not, the, a fast zombie is an invention of Hollywood. Like a fast zombie would be a ninja. So a slow <laughs> Who the says that zombies can't study martial arts? No, no. The Parkour zombies, zombies actually dominate everything. When you see slow zombie, it's inexorable. And then when you're being eaten or uh, engulfed by the zombies, you feel this free son of fear like, how did they get to me? I must be incredibly out of shape. They managed to catch up with me even though they're moving really <laughs> slow. We're, we're, I love the rationale we got. We're moving on though. Here we go. Uh, question number nine. Second to last question here. Being crushed to death by Frankenstein or being corrected by someone telling you actually it's Frankenstein's monster. 
Well, I, I, I'd say being crushed to death is probably um, worse than being in the wrong. I thought you were going to say being crushed to death by Frankenstein or being corrected by steaks. Tell us TV. We're going to give you that one. And finally, as far as horror comedies go, which one has the slight mathematical advantage? High Spirits or Transylvania 65000? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, they're not, they're two not very good horror comedies. Is that what you're, you're getting at? Is it, aren't you, it, aren't you in one of those movies, Jennifer? I'm in High Spirits, and you know what? I auditioned for Transylvania 65000, but those were both movies that were terrible misfires by the filmmakers. So, um, I guess I would have to vote for uh, High Spirits. High Spirits is correct, Jennifer Tilly. Thank you so you much. Why High Spirits <clears throat> is horrifying is because the studio took it away from the director and recut it, so it was just all screaming and people running away. He meant for it to be more like a Midsummer Night's Dream. He was on the plane one day when it was playing, and he turned to his girlfriend and he said, "This is the loudest movie I ever saw," and he said it very displeased. Jennifer, <laughs> Even the director didn't like that movie. Jennifer, if you ever want to host your own podcast, please let me be your co-host. You have so many great stories. You are so good at this. Thank you so much. By the way, there was no domination because I cut the question because it wasn't horror movie related. It was which song is better, Monster Mash by Bobby Pickett or Dead Man's yeah. Party by Oingo Boingo? Monsters Mash, of course. Yeah, Monster he Mash. Did the Mash. <laughs> the Monster Mash. Jen, you're Both costing us a fortune in royalties right now. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on the show. Okay, have fun, have fun in England. Pip, pip and all that. Thanks, Jen. Go back to bed. Ciao. Bye-bye. So thanks once again to Jennifer Tilly, and thank you, Joe, for setting that up. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I'm lucky that Jen's always been so nice to me, and uh, I hope she wasn't actually... You don't think she's actually mad at... I would consider that to be a warning shot. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, I, I mean, I could, one day, like a few years ago, I got a direct message from her, and she was like, hey, just want you to know me and Phil stay up and watch uh, all the poker shows, and we think you're hilarious. And I was like, swoon. So, thank you, Jennifer. Okay, let's deal with a couple of news headlines before we get to this week's Superfan Contest. What's going on in poker today? Now it is time for Poker in the Year's News. And we start in Macau, where ACOP continues the Asian Championship of Poker. And we highlight the success of Selena Lin, friend of the show, a member of Team Pro, who has won her third Spady, which in that part of the world is what they call uh, the Poker Stars trophies, because obviously they have the spade on them. And because they're close to Australia, everything is an E. They have to <laughs> shorten everything. A Spady, a, a, a Pokey. So Selena won the ladies' event, and this is her third trophy, her third ACOP win. Uh, congratulations to Selena. She is someone we're hoping to line Woo! up for a future episode of the show as a guest because she did tease that she has another calamity to tell yes. us about. Plus, of course, she features in episode two of the Monte Carlo main event, playing on the feature table. Oh, perfect. Well, hopefully we can get her since she works for the same company as us. Yeah, obviously getting her on this week was going to be tough with her playing in a cop, sure. the time difference, blah de blah blah um, The other story to mention is that Power Up is live. Now, this is the new game, which is kind of the esportsification of poker. People have drawn direct comparisons with Hearthstone. Pokerstone. You've got power cards that can change things. I've had some fun while I was away playing Play Money versions of this game on the mobile app and on the desktop client. 
Bizarrely, it's not available on the iPad app yet, which is slightly annoying because that's where I play poker most of the time. But I think it is coming soon. Joe, you promised that while you're in London, you're going to play some real money power up. I'm going to play real money power up for the highest stakes imaginable. Which I believe at the moment is seven bucks. Oh, thank God. But $15 games coming soon. I can even handle $15 games. I'm going to try to make a run at power up poker. I'm going to try to run it high. Or something. I'm going to try to run it to the top. Now, obviously, I mentioned I've played a few games, but because we're going to do a special Adventures in Online Poker power-up edition next week, I'll save all my comments until next week, and then obviously you'll have played as well, and we can share our experiences at the power-up tables. Well, yeah, because I'm going to just jump into the real money, so what we should do is I'll tell you how I played some hands, and then you can tell me how bad I was at it. I'm not saying I'm an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But you're more experienced than I am. So this is going to be literally being like, what's this do? Uh, what's this do? I should probably just record it, to be honest. Uh, screen cap it just in case there's something we can play around with it later. So more about Power Up next week. But right now, we are going to get this week's Superfan on the show. Superfan versus Stakes. And this week, we welcome to the show, live from Spain, where the rain falls mainly on the plane, Kate Bell. Welcome to Poker in the Ears, Kate. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Excellent. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for being with us. Good choice of movie, by the way. I really love this movie. Now, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I like it quite a bit. Before we get into that too much, who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> Um, well, I've been listening to you guys for quite a few years now, as you might have realized from my sort of begging, stalking letter to yeah. be on. That <laughs> was amazing. That was so good. That's probably the my favorite piece of fan-generated content ever. Especially as it included <laughs> several, let's be honest, 90% of the references you'd long forgotten. Yes, absolutely. It was a nice little, it was like a, like a yearbook. It was cool. <laughs> And then it was really funny when you guys uh, read it out on the podcast. I was actually listening to the podcast and I was on the metro and I was so surprised that I got on the metro the wrong, going the wrong way and I didn't notice for six stops. <laughs> uh, now, when you were writing that, that little uh, opus, did you have to rack your brain to come up with that stuff or did it just come off straight off the top of the dome? No, that was all pretty fresh, actually, because I was, I was, you know, I, I was motivated. I wanted to be on, guys. The fact that you used an email address that we haven't been using for several seasons was the real clue that you've been with us for some time. <laughs> um, but when you're not wasting your hours listening to us talk about utter nonsense, what do you do with your time? Um, well, I'm a translator, so living the dream, working from home. Um, yep. Uh, translating websites, whatever people send me. Uh, the last two days I've been translating, um, let's just call them adult pleasure aids. So uh, translation is about adult pleasure links, aids. Links, please. <laughs> I'm going to assume, although that is a dangerous thing to do, that we're talking about translation between the English language and the Spanish language. Um, German as well, actually, but yeah, Spanish too. And don't forget the international language of love. <laughs> Quite states. You're an expert, I hear. Uh, well, I'm experienced. I wouldn't say expert. Those are two different things. So are you just a consumer of poker media, or do you have the option, ability, and time to play poker as well? 
Um, I've not been playing live as much as I would like recently. Um, I used to have a home game, but then I moved and I haven't uh, found a new home game here yet. So it's been mostly sort of online free rolls recently. Um, but yeah, I, I really love to play um, just as a, a ledger player, really. But yeah, I, I do really enjoy it. So Now, this is an important question. I'm, this is not a stalkery question. This relates to the prize. <laughs> Are you in Spain all the time or do you ever get the opportunity to go back to the UK and potentially play on PokerStars from within the United Kingdom? Yeah, I do still have a UK PokerStars account. I opened up a new one when I moved here, but I still have my UK one. Boom. So, like, I'll be back at Christmas, for example. Excellent. In which case, we're going to give you the opportunity to win a $109 PCA satellite ticket. Yes! <laughs> Obviously, I didn't want to give you a prize you couldn't use. Because I don't even no, know. No, 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 that... that would be amazing. I was actually wondering myself. I was going to ask you guys. So that that's great. That um, yeah, that would be amazing. Imagine. Woo. We like to figure it out on the fly. Okay, I have sealed the questions inside an envelope because this week Joe Stapleton is back with me inside the room, and I didn't want him peeking. I would yeah, never. I would never be likely to do that. Yeah. I would never peek. <laughs> the irony is, I could have shown you the answers to these questions an hour ago. And you'd still get them wrong. I might have forgotten some of that. Yeah, is true. true that. True uh, that. So thanks once again to Robbie and Matty, the interns, for putting together this quiz. We did allow them to watch the movie on company time. Um, so they have compiled... Did they have to stop playing ping pong to do it? <laughs> they have compiled ten questions about So I Married an Axe Murderer. Uh, I believe they are all multiple choice. Yes, they are. Some have bonus questions attached. As you know, Kate, if you don't need the multiple choice options, you can score two points. It goes down to one if I have to give you the A, B, C, and D. You get to go first. You get to pick a number between one and ten. Where are you going on the board? Well, I would go number seven, but that would just be too predictable. So I'm going to go number three. Like it. Question number three. Now, bear in mind, I have not seen this movie. So apologies if I what? don't know what, what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I apologize if I get stuff wrong, but... Ultimately, the rule is what's written on the page is the answer. Moops. I'm sorry, but the answer was moops. <laughs> so question three. What does Charlie look for in women he dates? Multiple choice options are available. What does he look for in women he dates? I know this one without the multiple choices. What? I can give you all the reasons he's broken up with women. No, I have multiple choice, please. Okay, is it... Breast size, small feet, a sense of humour, a rumbustuous rump. Ah, oh, it's breast size. It is breast size for a point. <laughs> By the way, he the says board. he says it ironically, James. Like he's on a date, and a woman says, "What do you look for?" And he goes, eh, "Breast size." Okay, <laughs> I apologise. The word "ironically" was not included in the question. I didn't write them, as previously <laughs> mentioned. Joe, your first question, please. I will always come seven. Okay, question number seven. What beer does Stuart McKenzie drink? God, that's... I know this, I know this, I know this. Such a good character. What beer does Stuart McKenzie drink? He is a hardcore Scot. Remember, multiple, multiple choice options. Let's do the multiple choices. Okay. Does he drink McAllister's Finest, Scottish Brew, McEwan's Export, or Budweiser? Uh, what was choice B or two? Scottish Brew. I'm going to go with the first one. McAllister's Finest. Yeah. It was McEwan's Expert. Ah! But there is a bonus question, Joseph. Okay. How many beer bottles are on the table when he's singing? Fuck if I don't know. Five. It's always coming seven. <laughs> Shit. 
Kate, second round, second question. And uh, number four, please. Number four. What, according to Vicky, did Machine Kelly do to his bitch? Oh, he ripped out her eyes and then he pissed in her ocular cavity. <laughs> That's two points. That is two points, and that is really, really wow. nasty. Oh, wait, hold on a second. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, getting Kate the full, uh, the full experience here. There we go. <clears throat> Okay. By the way, added Simpsons trivia, uh, the guy who plays Vicky is Phil Hartman, who does loads of the voices for The Simpsons. Yeah, it's uh, Troy McClure. The late there Phil Hartman. Go. Joseph! Oh, hey, no way! Yeah, he's, Oh, yeah, he's been dead for been like dead 20 like, years. He's been dead since 1998, I think. Yeah. Oh, I missed that one. I must have missed that one when you guys changed your email address. Joseph, your next question. Uh, question eight, is that available? Question eight is available. What did Charlie say Tony looked like in the opening scene of the film? An undercover cop who's trying not to look undercover. Correct. That is two I'm points. on the fucking board! <laughs> the score is 3-2 after the second round. Kate, your next question, please. One, two, five, six, nine, and ten, all available. Nine, please. Question nine. What city... Did Harriet have a huge poster of in her apartment? Atlantic City. It is Atlantic City for two points, and there's a bonus question. Mm. What was the job of the husband from Atlantic City? Um, he was a lounge singer. He was for a bonus point. Nice job, Kate. Joe, <laughs> your next question. Uh, question number one, please. Question number one. What is the name of the opening song? Opening song. I'll take the multiple choice. Is it Take On Me, There She Goes, Friday I'm In Love, Never Gonna Give You Up? It's There She Goes. It is There She Goes. For a point, there is a bonus question yeah. attached. Can you name the artist... Sixpence None The Richer! No. No. Okay, Kate, you can steal Damn here for it. a point. <laughs> it's the last. Well, no, that was not the question. The question oh. is, who performs the song on the soundtrack? The Lars were the original artist, but it's the Boo Radleys who performed the song Boo for this movie. Boo Radleys. Oh. Let me finish the question next time. I don't uh, think either one of us would have gotten it anyway. Joe, <laughs> two, five, six, or ten. No, uh, that was your question, wasn't it? Yeah, we're, up, Sorry. we're back to Kate. Kate, two, five, six, or ten? Mm, two, please. Question number two. Why does Stuart McKenzie hate Colonel Sanders? Ah, <laughs> uh, because he puts a chemical in your chicken which makes you crave it fortnightly. Correct, for two points. And there is a bonus. As well as the Colonel, who else does Stuart claim is in the Pentaverate? And <laughs> um, wait, uh, I'll give queen? you a point for every one. There's the Queen, yep, that's one. Uh, the Vatican? That's two. Um, the Rothschilds? Ah, yes. There's one more. There's one more, there's one more. Uh, jump on. The Gettys. Correct! Four <laughs> bonus points! <laughs> Scored there. Hang on. One, two, three, This four. is reminding me of how fucking funny this movie is. Have you seen it, John? <laughs> Producer John likes it, okay. Okay, Joe, this is your question. Five, six, or ten? Uh, boy, I, bo I like the looks of both five and six right now. How do I choose? Oh, choose six. Question number six. What weird dream did the pilot have? 
he... If, uh, it's something like he dreamt that... There are multiple choice options available. Yeah, I know, but I can... I'll take the choices. It's something... I'm gonna just, like, for showboating reasons, because he dreamt that he was flying a plane. Something like that. I'm gonna give you the options, yeah. okay? Was it that he was his own mother, that he drowned in a massive fish tank, that he was born eight and a half months premature and the doctors were freaked out, or that he was six months pregnant? Oh, shit. I guess I was wrong. No shit. Um... What was the thing about being born? That he was born eight and a half months premature and the doctors were freaked out. Yeah, I'll go with that one. It is. Four points. Woo! The score is 12-4. I think you know in which direction. Kate, your final question. Five and ten still available. Mm, ten, please. Question number ten. Who did Nancy Travis end up marrying after making the film? Oh, is there multiple choice? I there are multiple choice one. options. Was it the director, the producer, Anthony LaPaglia, or Mike Myers? Um, I don't think it was Mike Myers. Um, I'm gonna go with the director. It was the producer, Robert. Oops, sorry, no. James. Why? James nodded when he started to say that. Excuse me for for the slow roll and the sound effects. What was the guy's name? Robert N. Fried or Freed? Huh. Anywho, Joe. Final question. Question five. Where were Mr. and Mrs. McKenzie's thirtieth anniversary celebrations held? It's someplace really cheesy. I'll I'll need the choices though. <laughs> Bell Tower, Sacker Joy. The Fillmore or Cock of the North? <laughs> Cock of the North? Correct for a point, and there is a bonus. What does the advertisement on the side of the tram say as Charlie and crew enter the Cock of the North? No idea, wow. Kate. You know this one? Uh, no, no, that's beyond me. It says get bent. No one really <laughs> needed that point because, Joe, you couldn't win. Kate, you had such a huge lead. 12 points to 5. You crushed the game. You clearly know the movie. Congratulations. You've won this game of Superfan vs. Stapes. Yay! Kate, Thank don't so go. Much, guys. Don't go getting a big, big old uh, heed now. <laughs> it's like a toothpick. Oh, it's like a virtual planetoid. It's got its own <laughs> weather system. <laughs> So, Kate, congratulations. Obviously, we're going to give you an Everyone Loves a Chop Pot hoodie. You deserve that much, at least. Plus, you'll get the $109 PCA satellite ticket. Thank you so much for applying to be on the show. Thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for your support through all of the many, many, many years. Thank you so much. Could I have one final request, please? Yeah. Could, could, could I please have a basket of victory kittens? You may absolutely have a basket of victory kittens. Yay! <laughs> Enjoy those kittens, and we will see you hopefully at the PCA. Fingers crossed, guys. Thank you so much. Bye! Bye, bye, bye. All right, my babies, that is almost all the time we've got for this week's episode of Poker in the Ears. Next week, we will recap the first two episodes of our glorious return to United Kingdom and Ireland television, the Poker Stars Championship from Monte Carlo. Two episodes for your ear holes. We will have our guest on, Robert Pankowski. That's the kid that qualified for 82 bucks. I won't spoil where he finished in that event. If you haven't seen it yet, 
but you probably have if you're listening to this show. And we're going to do adventures in online poker. I'm going to play some Power Up for high stakes, for $7 nosebleed stakes. Yeah, some Power Up themed adventures in online poker coming next week. We do need a super fan for next week, so please apply for the show. Hashtag Poker in the Ears on Twitter. We need a specialist subject that's going to work. Something that Joe is likely to stand a fighting chance answering questions about. And next week we'll be recording the day after Halloween. So I don't know. Maybe that's something that will spark something in someone. Who knows? And if you don't get on next week, maybe we'll have you on in a future week. Oh yeah, apply because we if we need someone for next week, we need someone for a while. So just send in your your suggestions. Do not forget, guys, very important if you could help us out. Rate the show, review it, click subscribe. We don't even care if you keep up with it, listening to it, as long as it downloads to your device. We get credit for that. We're trying to keep this show alive, goddammit. So please, give us some hits. Because the more clicks we get, the more ratings we get, then iTunes starts going, hey, why don't you check out this podcast? Other people seem to be clicking on it. That is all the time we've got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.